Top seven IT trends, funding for digital transformations in Africa, ERP software versus best breed, and a digital transformation case study. Those are just few of the topics we're going to cover here today in episode number 116 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. My name is Eric Kimberling, CEO and founder of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. This is Transformation Ground Control, the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformations, including the people, process, technology, and strategy aspects of transformation. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We've got a a fun show for you planned today. We're going to cover some audience questions. We're going to provide some answers to those audience questions here in our opening segment. We'll also get into some hot topics in the opening segment. We'll cover the top seven IT trends, and we'll kind of hone in on, on one or two of those. And then we're also going to talk about World Bank funding for digital transformations in Africa talk about how some emerging countries are tackling their digital transformation challenges and needs. And then later in the show, we'll have our first guest, who is Soma, the president and chief technology officer of Infor Software. He's going to be on the show having a discussion with me about ERP software versus best of breed. So we're going to talk about some of the pros and cons and trade-offs and risks and potential benefits of pursuing a single enterprise-wide ERP solution versus more of a best of breed approach. And just as a spoiler alert, uh, there is a hybrid approach that we'll talk about as well uh, during that conversation. And then later, last but not least, we'll have another guest on the show, uh, Scott Jenke, who is a director of strategy and transformation at Third Stage Consulting in North America, out of our North America office. And he'll be going over a case study with, with Kyler, talking about a case study of digital transformation in the packaging industry. So even if you're not in the packaging industry, this is a, a good case study of lessons learned and sort of uh, lessons from the front lines, if you will, of a, of a transformation that we're helping a client with actively as we speak. So before we get to our guests, though, uh, let's jump into some of these questions you have for us, Kyler. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have my trusty question jar, some longer ones today. Um, if you haven't joined us before for the Q&A sessions, I do pull all of our questions off of Eric's and Third Stage social media accounts. Um, so if you follow us on pretty much any main social media platform um, or Eric, you can post those questions and I will get to them. Um, so if you have any questions while we're doing the questions, please pop them in the comments and we can get to them next week. So with that, let's pull some of these out. So this one specifically is about organizational change management, some content you've recently done on that. 
Um, and this comment really is the biggest mistake in OCM is not engaging key influencers early on. So the reason I chose this because I think a lot of times we miss that importance of influencers within the organization for organizational change. So I wanted to kind of ask you a question about how you identify those key influencers and really activate them to motivate their peers to go through a technology implementation or any sort of change in process. Yeah, that's a good question. And there's really two layers of influencers you have to look at. You have the, call it the more formal layer of influence that organization or, or stakeholders have within an organization. An example would be people in an org chart that are in positions of authority and formal power and influence. Uh, certainly your your senior executives, your mid-level management is very influential. Sort of the people on the org chart that you would expect to have influence because of their formalized leadership positions. But just as important is to look at the informal influence that other stakeholders have. So you, you could, for example, have an employee who's highly tenured. Maybe they're not in a senior management position or even mid-level management position, that, but they've been around forever. They know where the bones are buried. They know everything about the organization. They've got a lot of tribal knowledge, and they just have a lot of influence informally through the organization. And so those are a little bit harder to identify, but it is important to identify them because they can have just as much, if not more influence than the more formalized uh, positions of power. And the key here is to recognize too, that when you're identifying these influencers and these stakeholders that need to be managed and you want to sort of uh, bring them under your fold to make sure that they're a positive impact on the project is you want to understand the people that uh, are people that you can leverage to, to uh, further the, the messaging that you're trying to get out to the to the uh, end users or to the broader group of, of employees. So you want to make sure that you're looking at the positives, but also you want to be looking at the negative influencers too, the people that might be sabotaging the project or they might have negative influence on the project. And usually that's a small subset of influencers or stakeholders within the organization, but they have a lot of, they can have a lot of impact and it can be pretty damaging to a project. So you want to figure out ways to neutralize those those people, even if you're not going to fully convert them to believers or, you know, people that are excited about the project and the changes that are underway, you can at the very least neutralize and mitigate some of that risk. So those are some of the things that we typically look at when we're looking at stakeholders as the informal and formal positions of authority, as well as looking at the positive and negative influence that these stakeholders can have. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, lots to unpack there. Um, we could spend an hour on that conversation, but if you do have more questions for Eric about OCM, we'll link his OCM playlist here as well as the third stage one on our YouTube channel. We also have a guide um, to OCM or organizational change management success on our website, which I'll also link here, which is a free download. So some follow-up to that really important conversation, because I totally agree. That is one of the biggest myths. All right like a mesh in a bottle over here. This looks so, like a long question here. I know. It's actually two, so don't get too hard. Okay. Um, so this one is actually from your conversation with Kiara a few weeks back um, regarding the um, emerging technologies in enterprise AI, chat GPT, those kinds of new, newer trends. So this is, um, can AI replace consultants 100%, what do you think their role will look like knowing that there are so many opportunities to automate strategies moving forward? Um, so I have sort of a mixed answer here on, I'll give you two answers, yes and no. Yes, they can fully can replace consultants, but no, in other cases, they can't. Um, the I'd call it the low value consulting, the commodity consulting, the 
call it the more staff augmentation of just doing stuff, whether it's coding or development or stuff that's more straightforward, I guess you'd say, and requires less analysis and less thinking and less, uh, you know, strategic focus. I think those positions can be largely automated. I don't know about fully automated, but let's just call it heavily automated. You think about offshore development and configuration or development, things like that. It's fairly straightforward. If you know what you want the software to do, there's development needs that could probably be automated and you, you don't necessarily need relatively high dollar humans doing all of that work. Uh, but when it comes to the more strategic consulting, I use another you know extreme. You, you talk about offshore development being one extreme of commoditization, and then you look at the other extreme of really high level strategy type stuff. You know, helping an organization define their future state and helping them define how they can use technology to automate their business processes and really defining that strategic roadmap. Yes, you could get some generic boilerplate type stuff from AI and, and other sources as of right now, but I don't see that being automated, at least with AI as it stands now in a year or two or five years or whatever, maybe that opinion changes or maybe that reality changes. But right now, I don't see that form of consulting getting heavily automated. But I will say that some of the even in cases where consulting can't be automated per se, um, there's some mundane grunt work that goes into analysis and consulting that could certainly be streamlined and that'll save clients money and uh, you know allow, allow clients to get more value out of their consultants. So I think it's going to put pressure on the consulting industry in general. Um, it's just a matter of which parts of consulting get more disrupted than others. Yeah. And I guess if if you lean into it and have that mindset as it's a kind of a tool set to your consultant package. Um, so that's definitely an interesting evolution. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the, I forgot who coined the phrase. I think it was Clayton Christensen who, who uh, wrote the innovator's dilemma. Um, I think it was him that coined the phrase of uh, creative destruction. So you're always trying to, I think, I know Steve Jobs was a, you know, subscribe to that school of thought where you're always trying to make yourself obsolete in, in doing so you're creating innovation and you're becoming more innovative and more valuable. And so that's sort of what we're doing at third stage is how can we outdo ourselves and make third stage consulting as of two or three years ago, how can we make that obsolete so that we're better and more suited for the future going forward? Absolutely. And speaking of authors, you do have a book coming out later this year. So we'll be, you know, quoting you on those yes. bestseller lists. <laughs> right. I so know. this one, my world tour promoting the book. I know. Right. I want to go. No. <laughs> um, so this one is near and dear to your heart. I, I know. So I picked it for you just in general. Um, so which low code software will help me with invoicing as a small to medium sized business? The QuickBooks updates are really challenging and just a quick plug for that, we did have our SMB specialist do a video on the QuickBooks updates, um, which I'll link right here. Her name is Christy Barber. So if you want to deeper dive into what that looks like or how to use that, um, I'll put that right on in the link here. Gotcha. So which low-code, no-code systems are best for invoicing? Is that uh, the question? Yeah, and maybe and maybe talk about the challenges of of QuickBooks or kind of those growing pains when you get to the size that you you've outgrown QuickBooks and there's limitations to the overall um, platform. Um, you know, how do you go about up upgrading, knowing that a digital transformation for a small to medium sized organization is a significant cost? Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of uh, software vendors are moving toward that low code, no code model, trying to make their software simpler to use and less technical. So, so more of an end user type could, 
could manage the software instead of a super deep technical type. So I'd say the general trend is going that direction, but I'd say, you know, some of the systems that come to mind that are more low code ish now than, than other uh, vendors might be, if you're a, a smaller organization, I know Odoo has a sort of a low code, no code sort of platform that they're built on. You can do deeper development if you want, but there's a lot of flexibility you have with the tool set there. Um, another one is NetSuite. I don't know that NetSuite necessarily markets it super heavily or markets themselves super heavily as a low-code, no-code option, but they sort of are just because they're a multi-tenant SaaS solution that by definition, um, you don't have a lot of coding or customization you can do. And, and by definition, it's 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 mostly low-code, no-code type stuff that or configuration that you're doing. And then if you're a larger organization, um, which you're, you know, you may be, I guess, if you're using QuickBooks, you, you could, we know, we have some clients that are hundreds of millions in revenue. And we've had a couple post, you know, billion dollar plus uh, in annual turnover types of organizations that are still using QuickBooks as enterprise. But if you're one of those larger, call it midsize organizations, then you might look to a, a system like QAD, especially if you're in the manufacturing space. Um, QAD has a low code, no, no code platform that is built for larger, slightly larger organizations than a NoDo or NetSuite. But those are a few examples, but I'd say in general, um, that's where the vendors are going largely is toward that no code, low code model for sure. Yeah. So good news for this, this question and, and user. Um, and again, we do have those software comparison, um, playlists on our YouTube video and on Eric's channel as well. So you can go ahead and just search whatever software you might be looking at. Um, also pop our quick QuickBooks versus NetSuite conversation that again, Christy and I had, um, here. So my last question that I want to end with here is a bit of a teaser for um, some conversations you're going to have down the road, I think. Um, so agile is the bane of software lawyers existence and creates a real risk in project management from a contracting perspective. Um, probably not a mystery of who said that comment, right. but I thought I might give you a chance to kind of weigh in as that's a really interesting overall take on the agile versus waterfall approach when it comes to the actual contracting phase of the project. Yeah. And I'm guessing that that is our guest for next week, next week's podcast where we have Marcus Harris on the show, who's going to be on talking about, uh, he won't be on talking about agile necessarily, but he's going to be on talking about some of the uh, legalities, intellectual property, data privacy, sorts of issues with ChatGPT and OpenAI in particular. So he'll be on the show next week uh, discussing that, but he was the one that um, wrote that comment. I remember seeing that uh, from him on whatever platform it was on, uh, but it's a great point. I think um, he has a good point that a lot of the discussions I've had on this show and other videos on YouTube and whatnot around Agile has focused on the difficulties with implementation that it creates. It does solve some problems, but it creates a whole host of other problems, and I won't get into that. In this discussion, you can go to my YouTube channel and just search the word Agile, and you'll find a couple of videos where I, I don't want to say I'm overly critical of Agile, but I, I think I'm being realistic about Agile and comparing it to Waterfall and, and looking objectively at the pros and cons. It just so happens that a lot of people don't like to hear the negatives of Agile, especially if you're a, you're, you're a believer, you know, you're, you're certified in Agile and Scrum and all that stuff. You don't want to hear the negative stuff, but it's important to know. But back to Marcus's point about the contracts, I, I agree with what he's saying because Agile, by definition, is meant to be flexible, nimble. You adapt, you pivot, uh, you learn, you adjust, and that doesn't that approach, whether or not that's right for your organization, is a different story. But that approach doesn't lend itself to super solid 
contracts that are airtight and clear and all that sort of stuff. So I think he brings up a really good point that I hadn't really talked about in those videos where I talk about Agile versus Waterfall, but it's a really important thread and it's a good addition to that argument um, of something you just need to consider. Because if you do take an Agile approach, you're putting yourself at more contractual risk um, and uncertainty and ambiguity um, that you just need to be aware of. And you can manage to it, but I, I just think a lot of organizations don't think about that. They just want to go Agile and Vendors want to go agile. Everyone is happy up front, but when there's a dispute, if your contract isn't airtight, it creates a lot of problems later on, or it can anyway. Absolutely. I feel like it's one of those things. It's kind of a, a cool word that's too good to be true. Sometimes it's like, um, you know, diet Coke. Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Um, but uh, definitely if you have conversations for Eric or questions, um, you can pop them in the comments right now, wherever you're joining us from, or you can um, email them to me at kyler.cheatham at thirdstage-consulting.com. Um, and I will ask Eric live um, each, uh, each entrance to our show. Um, but I definitely want to talk you through, Eric, some hot topics here in just a second. Um, so let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Yep, that sounds good. We'll take that break and we'll we'll come back with some hot topics here in a moment. And then later in the show, we'll have uh, Soma from Infor who will talk about enterprise software versus best of breed. We'll also have Scott Janke on the show who will uh, go through a digital transformation case study in the packaging industry. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. A man if you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, wherever you might listen to your podcast. Be sure to look for Transformation Ground Control there. Um, so we've got some hot topics we want to get to before we bring on our first guest, Kyler. Um, what have you got for us here in these couple themes you want to talk about? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. So a recent article in CIO magazine um, talked about the seven trends defining enterprise art, IT markets today. So many of these trends we've talked about, such as AI, um, we've talked about chat GPT at links and enterprise integration. Um, we've talked about edge computing. Um, but the one I wanted to talk to you about today is actually the password list authentication. And it's something I will ask um, Scott Janke about later in the episode um, in digital transformation case studies about the ease of use and the rise of passwordless authentication and how that actually helps with cybersecurity. Um, so a recent Gartner prediction um, said that by 2025, over 50% of the workforce and more than 20% of the customer authentic authentication transactions 
will be passwordless. And just for a baseline, it's fewer than 10% today. Um, so I wanted to get your expert take on if that's something that you've seen as evolution within the software evaluations that you've been looking at or the functionalities for um, our clients here at Third Stage and, and what your thoughts or considerations are when it comes to kind of a passwordless approach. Yeah, I think it's um, you know definitely a trend in the market and you're seeing more people, you know, consumers and enterprises focusing more and more on cybersecurity and protecting that data. Um, however, I would say that when we're helping clients through evaluations, they don't spend much or enough time on the whole cybersecurity thing in general, um, just across the board, not just password lists, but just across the board. So it's something that it's sort of like you have to, you have to have gone through some security uh, breach or issue to really feel the pain and recognize the importance of it or to prioritize accordingly. But, um, you know, my advice to organizations would be not to wait until it becomes a problem or a threat before you start looking at cybersecurity, including uh, password lists. So I think it's a good thing to focus on. I just don't think enough organizations are focused on that right now. Yeah, and it's interesting um, because this kind of splits the bridge between employee or um you know, overall community organization experience and then customer experience as well and deciding kind of what is the the best ease of use process, um, especially when you might be on a busy manufacturing floor or in, you know, a place where you're where you're in kind of a high risk environment, um, especially in like utilities, you look at that a lot um, and the opportunity to optimize that employee experience, but also the customer experience. Nobody wants to remember their password, but also nobody wants to have their data breached in privacy. <laughs> so it's, right. um, it's, a, it's a tough kind of balancing act uh, to integrate, but definitely something that that we've seen leaps and bounds uh, in popularity and not only security too. It seems to be more secure than getting credentials um, hacked or um, stolen in a cybersecurity environment. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's, that's uh, definitely a, something to keep top of mind as you're going through any sort of transformation for sure. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the, the need to really, understand your end user experience um, as well and, and what that looks like in all different facets, especially if you're a, a you know, larger, more complex, heavy organization. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's move to the World Bank, which is has some um, exciting developments specifically in the Africa market um, in Kenya and Sengel. Um, they actually just approved about uh, $100 million um, in private capital that's mobilizing broadband infrastructure and the Kenya digital, digital excuse me, economic acceleration program, say that three times fast, has awarded um, $390 million in financing for the first phase, which will run from 2023 to 2028. And it's aimed at increasing high-speed internet, boosting those really important skills development within the digital economy, and then also digital education services. And that's just the first phase of what that will look like. Uh, so the, the goal obviously here is to create um, or lower the gap of digital transformations and industries across the globe and the ability for enterprise, most, in, most importantly, to develop there. Because the biggest barrier to moving, say, really high-tech industries into the Africa market is just the lack of broadband infrastructure. 
Um, so wanted to get, you know, we obviously have a third stage Africa office. We've had clients in Africa. Wanted to get your reaction to kind of that global movement on the World Bank's part and trying to kind of kickstart digital initiatives in that emerging marketplace. Yeah, it's interesting you bring this up because I just saw a YouTube video last night about something similar happening in India, I believe it was, where the, I think it was the World Bank or it may have been the Indian government or it might have been a combination of both who were investing in uh, sort of a digital transformation for company or, or countrywide. Um, so I think it seems to be a trend that a lot of these uh, developing countries are, are certainly focused on is, is just how to catch up or stay current with the technologies. Um, I think it's it's one of those things, though, that I think you sort of have to have government stimulus or government involvement investments in in transformation in order to make it work, at least, you know, to have that infrastructure to, to support organizations and people that want to use digital technologies more, um, you know, in a more modern way. So uh, I think it's something that's not just happening in Africa, but it seems like throughout the world, you're seeing these developing countries and regions of the world that are investing heavily to really just try and keep their their constituents and their stakeholders current with the modern digital economy. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there there's so many overarching organizations globally that help develop those those types of programs. I think with our research and our overall um, trending topics we share here, we've discovered a lot of different opportunities and resources for that. Um, and then obviously we have a ton of resources here at Third Stage. We do have our digital transformation in Africa report. So I'll go ahead and link that here if you want some more information on what that looks like. And if you have any um, additional hot topics that you'd like us to cover or share kind of your experience with new technology and emerging markets, go ahead and pop them in the comments here because we definitely love to hear from the audience about that really exciting growth in new marketplaces. Yeah, especially for those of you that might be living in countries that are doing some sort of transformation at the broader countrywide governmental level. Love to hear sort of your experience with that or what your observations are, um, what kind of initiatives might be happening there in your in your home countries. That, that'd be interesting to hear as well. Um, well, good. Well, that's that's super interesting. Then it's something we, we definitely want to keep an eye on is the the emerging markets and, and sort of the international growth of digital transformation and some of the corresponding investments that go along with that. So that'll be a interesting hot topic to keep an eye on and see how we track here in the next uh, coming years. Uh, so good. We're going to shift gears a bit. And uh, after we take a quick break, we're going to bring on Soma from Infor, who's the president and chief technology officer. He's going to be on talking about uh, enterprise-wide ERP software versus best of breed, which is best for you and really helping unpack the pros and cons, the the good, the bad, the ugly of each of these different alternatives, and also looking at alternative hybrid solutions too, ways that you can leverage the positive upside of ERP systems, as well as the positive upside of best of breed uh, without watering down the, the ROI uh, in that way. So we'll, we'll have some on the show here in just a moment. And then after Soma, later in the show, we'll have Scott Janke on, who's going to be, who's a uh, director at Third Stage Consulting. He's a director of strategy and transformation in our North American office. He's going to be on the show later after Soma, talking about uh, a digital transformation case study in the packaging industry. So stay tuned for that as well. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll have Soma on the show here in just a moment. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. 
Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. Our next guest is a first-time guest on this show, although he's someone that I've known for years now in the industry, and he's someone that has grown up in this industry similar to, to myself. Um, he's been in the industry for, I think, over 30 years now. I'll let him describe his background in a little bit more detail, but it is... Our next guest is Soma, who is the President and Chief Technology Officer of Infor, and we wanted to have Soma on the show, uh, not only because he's very knowledgeable about the history and the future of ERP software and digital transformations in general, but also because he's got some unique perspectives and insights into this whole thread we're going to talk about here today, which is ERP software versus best of breed. Do you want a single, one-size-fits-all sort of solution, one unified, integrated system, or do you want a best of breed model or is there some sort of hybrid or middle ground that might work best for you? So we thought we'd have him on the show to unpack this in a bit more detail. So with all that being said, Soma, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. And um, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Um, again, my name is Soma, Soma Soma Sundaram. Just like Eric did, most people just call me Soma. Uh, <laughs> there's only you know a few people with one name, right? Madonna, or Sting, <laughs> Prince. This and is Soma. Soma. So that's me. Uh, not because I'm famous, but uh, last name is a tongue twister. So um, I'm, I'm the president and uh, CTO at Infor, like you just heard. And uh, my hometown is Philly. Our headquarters is in New York. So, you know, a uh, little bit of a commute, but but uh, I, I usually am in the office uh, at least, uh, you know, several weeks in a month. Uh, but today I happen to be in Philly. So uh, nice to meet everyone. Great. Well, thank you for being here. And it's nice to have a, a one name celebrity on the show. Uh, and you, you kind of are, a, you, I think you're understating your, your influence in the industry. You are pretty well known in this, in the space. And, um, you know, I've known you for several years. I know many in the industry have known you for a long time, but maybe talk a little bit about your background. Just how did you grow up in the world of ERP and what is it you do it in for? And maybe just tell us a little bit about your background to start. Yeah, sure. Um, if I start with my experience, it will, uh, date me really but um, you know this is uh, i've been in this industry for just over 40 years um you know when um, when i graduated out of school um there was an mit affiliate uh, in india uh, where i went to to school and did uh, actually systems engineering there was no computer science at that time but but anyway i, I started uh with a company called wang labs uh, they they came up with this uh, mini computers and and happened it just so happened uh, just to compress the 40 years in 60 seconds 
um, all of my experience happened to be in um, in the uh, enterprise application space. Uh, so I lived in uh, uh, through that company. I, I lived in Bahrain for a couple of years and worked with Bahrain Slipway, and uh, lived in UK in London. Um, then lived in um, Singapore, Australia. Lived in um, Germany, in Dusseldorf, and in Frankfurt. So <clears throat> lived all over the place uh, like a nomad. Uh, but it also gave me a lot of experience working in different cultures, different uh, types of companies. And, and eventually the last part was uh, Melbourne, Australia, where I wrote a, an ERP product for, I led, I should say, I didn't write it solely by myself, uh, led a uh, build out of uh, an ERP system for um, food and beverage chemical companies. And uh, that got bought by a company in Philly. So I moved here in 1995. That company became Infor, um, and so long history with Infor, um, and l very, very long uh, background with um, enterprise applications, ERP, supply chain, uh, financials, you know, in that space. So that's that's my quick background. I've always run uh, R&D, but uh, off late. Um, so I have uh, about, you know, 8,000 plus engineers, and I'm also responsible for support, customer success, uh, our cloud operations, um, that uh, that you know we support globally, um, you know, with uh, about four thousand customers running in our multi-tenant uh, platforms in uh, in several AWS regions. Okay, great. So you've you've been around, you've been at a few different companies to see some of the ebbs and flows and the trends that have come and went in the ERP and digital transformation space. So it'd be a great conversation here today to dive into a bit. Um, before we jump into some of these questions, I have around sort of the whole concept or the trade-off or decision between ERP systems, best of breed and hybrid approaches. Maybe just tell us a little bit about Infor software for those that aren't aware of who Infor is or what product suites you own. Maybe just talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah, no, no problem at all. So, so Infor's, uh, you know, thesis behind, um, you know, starting Infor was that um, ERP platforms in the 90s were built to be generic um, so you build one platform. It's a great idea uh, in theory. So you can build a build an ERP system that solves the problem for any and all industries on the planet, um, and and that worked okay. Uh, but um, you know, it usually is uh, there's a lot of heavy lifting because uh, um, you know a company that uh, processes tomatoes makes soup, and another company that builds aircrafts, and and an organization that is in public sector, they're all very, very different. So Infor's thesis is that uh, we want to pick the industries where we have expertise. We're not serving every industry on the planet, but um, but then build platforms that are only for adjacent industries. We can, as we go through this conversation, we can talk more about that. But so there's similarity between certain industries that we build on a, on a purpose-built platform. So we can go deeper um, and solve what I would call last mile capability that requires less customizations, uh, less time to implement. That's that's the thesis behind Infor. So we serve, uh, I would say, broadly speaking, process manufacturing, which is food and beverage, fashion, distribution, uh, chemicals, those industries, and then discrete manufacturing with automotive, uh, aerospace and defense, high-tech industrial manufacturing, and, and then uh, we also serve uh, healthcare and public sector. Those are the industries we serve where uh, we feel like we have expertise and we have pro solutions that can go deeper. 
Right. And everything is deployed in the cloud. Uh, so we made a bet that rather than being all things uh, when it comes to technology, we are really good at building or at least decent at building um, you know, these capabilities for these industries, but uh, we partnered in, um, with AWS. So we exclusively run on AWS um, around the globe in various uh, regions where our platforms are deployed. They are multi-tenant, single instance, where uh, every customer in that industry runs this one instance in, in, in the cloud. Right. Great. Yeah, Infor is one of those um software companies in the space that not everyone has heard of, but you're a lot bigger than a lot of people realize in terms of market share as well as revenue, um, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, a lot of different products that you guys support in a, in a lot of these really targeted industries. And you mentioned something that really sort of segues into the meat of the discussion we want to have here today, which is, I think you made the comment that it sounds good in theory to have a single ERP system, one big massive system that can do everything. Um, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of that model that you and I have both seen evolve, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years? Yeah, um, you know, there are clearly advantages to either of those approaches, right? So, and disadvantages. So the, uh, if you look at a single platform serving every company on the, every organization on the planet, yeah, the advantage is that you have one piece of software that the software provider um, has to maintain only one 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 application stack uh, that provides economies of scale to a certain extent, and typically ERPs, at least in my history with uh, working with uh, you know in this industry, I found that you know what is core to the uh, to the platform is it financials or is it real operations, right? So a lot of the thinking in the earlier days was much more about financials, very strong capability that has less industry specificity, I wouldn't say no industry specificity, but less so. And as you move away from that into operations like manufacturing or, uh, um, you know, warehouse management and things like that, where industry specificity does matter in terms of how you run your business. So the advantage of, you know, going to, to industry specific platforms is that it's not just about running financials, but but it's also about running your operations. So Typically, you end up with a lot of bolt-ons in the horizontal use case uh, to, to try to keep your uh, your business running, uh, your mission-critical applications that really support are not financials. It's really the operational system. So our focus, you know, and, and I would say, and not forget, uh, you know, forget about Infor, but in general, though, if you look at um, uh, how um, applications get deployed to run mission-critical processes, you need last mail capability, right? So I can I can I can give you many many examples of that, um, where you know if you're buying um, uh, from milk from a farmer, if you're running an ice cream plant, you pay the farmer based on butterfat content, not by gallons or liters of milk, right? So that's a very different process than in a discrete manufacturing scenario or aerospace and defense, where there is strict regulation in terms of how you manage your inventory, and and it's more like you know, uh, one of our customers who makes, uh, you know, um, jets has like 2.3 million parts, right? Which is very different than uh, processing milk. So right. uh, that's the advantage. The advantage is that you can go last mile, but it does have more cost for the provider. So you got to be willing to to spend the, the, the resources, money to, to build it out to have that last mile capability. And I feel like in the cloud, if you're really running multi-tenant single instance, 
last mile does matter because there is a level to which you can customize. Customization is the wrong word to use in, in a multi-tenant cloud, right? You know, you have right. Salesforce, they've done that in CRM, but trying to do that for the ERP space is a little harder. Mm. Yeah, just the breadth of functionality that's required to, you know, per, to serve all these different industries and these different functions is very difficult, if not impossible, to do effectively in one one system and one platform. And it seems like that's sort of the strategy that I don't want to say enforce countering that approach, but you're sort of filling in the void that's left with the impossibility of a single ERP system being everything to everyone. You're you're trying not to be everything to everyone, but to provide applications that provide that last mile capabilities for specific industries. And, you know, you mentioned Salesforce. Salesforce is a great case study of a company that took the vulnerabilities of the single ERP software model and they exploited that to create a solution that was better, that went deeper and more specialized in one area. And now, of course, over time, they've become more than just a CRM provider, but that's how they started and how they came to get so much market share. And I think Infor has a, has a similar approach too. Would you agree with that or am I misstating? Yeah, uh, yeah I do I agree with that. Um, you know, So we pick industries where we have strength. We can continue to expand as time goes on, but um, do what we do do few things, but do them well, right? So, right. you know, when you when you really think about building the capability into the solution, like I said, the, the processing of uh, milk and paying the farmer on butterfly content, that's functionality that you need. Either you have it in the solution or you don't. Right. Um, in, in building that out while you're building it out for another industry, which is completely opposite. If you build that on the same platform, it, it creates either com uh, complexity or to a certain extent makes it impossible to really manage your roadmap. Right, right. We're here with Soma from Infor Software talking about ERP software versus best of breed, the pros, the cons, and the things you need to think about as you try to determine which path is right for you. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Soma, who is the president and chief technology officer at Infor Software, one of the leading and largest ERP software providers in the world. And he's on the show talking about ERP software versus best of breed. Let's jump back into the conversation. Now, what about um, if I'm a sales rep, I'm going to put myself in a sales rep shoes. I, I'm a sales rep for vendor A that just so happens to be um, a single ERP system provider. So in other words, I'm providing, you know, SAP or Oracle or Microsoft, you know, one of those systems that tries to be everything to everyone. 
my rebuttal or my way of playing devil's advocate to what you said about um, some of the the weaknesses of, of the big ERP model of not being able to be everything to everyone and not being able to to provide all the capabilities for specific industries. One thing that I hear often is sales reps who say, well, you just refuse to change. If you would just be open to change and just take our best practices off the shelf, out of the box, then you would be able to use our software, our one single system versus you know, that, that best of breed approach. What, what do you say to that? Or what are your thoughts on that, um, that thought process? Yeah, I think there is some truth to that. I mean, that is even true for our enforce approach to a certain extent, right? You want to come with a point of view in terms of business processes, but um, at least my, my opinion is that there is, you know, I, I can't put a pinpoint on a percentage, but let's say 15% of your processes are your secret sauce in terms of how you, um, you know, uh, differentiate yourself in your market. And that 15%, um, you do want to do something that is specific to your industry, specific to your micro vertical. Uh, it's not about just food and beverage. It's, you know, dairy versus a, a meat processing plant. There are nuances how, how mm. you manage that, right? So it is those things that, that become a little bit of a barrier. If you have a horizontal solution, um, you know, running running accounts payable or accounts receivable or general ledger and managing financials, it's um, easier. You can you, you, I do agree with that that rep's point of view in terms of you take my point of view and, and go ahead and implement that. But I think it's harder to do that in the operational side. So our at least our belief is, I mean, the audience is the judge, customers are the judge. Uh, so I would say that the more you have in the solution to really run your operations that differentiate yourself in the market, um, that it doesn't require heavy lifting in terms of customization that you have to maintain. You know, it, you know, uh, my analogy is like a boat anchor. Like if you change a, a lot from what is being delivered out of the box and you go completely off the reservation, it, it becomes very difficult to manage over time, right? Digital transformation, which is the topic we're discussing, requires agility, requires flexibility, it requires an open architecture. If you don't have that, um, it becomes very difficult over time. Right, right. Yeah, and I'm going to come back to that point you just mentioned about agility and architecture here in just a second. But before I do, I just want to um, turn to the audience here for a moment. Um, and, and I apologize too, by the way, I'm having a technical issue and I cannot see the uh, all the different chat streams on our streaming platform as I normally would. So you're going to see me looking away on different devices and stuff because I have to manually um, <laughs> look at the look at the different feeds here. So I apologize for that. But um, I just want to uh, give shout outs to some people here who have indicated where they're from today. Um, thank you, Ryan from Denver for joining Peter from London, uh, Vimal from uh, Liverpool, UK, uh, Mitch from Columbia, South Carolina, um, Kyrgyzstan. Um, we have someone joining in the evening from Kyrgyzstan. Um, Someone from Reed, Germany, Steve from Reed, Germany, um, Limerick, Ireland, Scotland, uh, people all over the world, uh, Julio from Italy. So a lot of different people joining here today. Thank you for all for joining and letting us know where you're from. Um, I would love to hear too from the audience as we're getting going here, just based on what we've talked about so far, just drop in the chat. Let me know which which model do you think resonates the most with you and what you think is, we'll call it the best, even though there may not be one single answer for universal purposes, but just for argumentative sakes, just drop in the chat, which do you think is best, the single ERP model, the best of breed, or is it some kind of mix of both? And I'm going to come back to the, the mix of both here in a moment. Um, so just drop that in the chat if you don't mind. I'd love to see what the audience thinks so far and, and maybe see if that 
that opinion evolves as we get into the conversation here. Um, but you talked about, um, right before I, I turned to the audience here, uh, Soma, you talked about um, architecture in in relation to um, some of these different models. How does architecture and integration, um, how does that play into the best of breed model? Maybe help us understand how that, you know, what, what that means and, and what is the complexity and cost of maintaining a hybrid or a, a best of breed model versus that single ERP model. Maybe just help us unpack that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I would start with this, that even if you have uh, the horizontal ERP um, as the solution that you use, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you do that, um, I would venture to say that any given organization, highly unlikely that you have this one ERP and that runs everything you need to do in your organization, right? So there is an ecosystem, depending on how complex it depends. Uh, but, um, but most organizations, if not all, they have an ERP solution, whether it's best of breed, industry-specific ERP or horizontal, and then they have other systems in place. So in order for the ecosystem to really function, um, you need to really have, uh, in, in my view, uh, two key ingredients. One is what is the data strategy? And, and two is what is your integration or interoperability, API and integration strategy, right? So those two things create um, sort of, you know, uh, flexibility and agility in your ecosystem that allows for different things to move at different pace. Uh, you may not upgrade your ERP if you're running it on-prem or, or a customized version of it, you know, you highly unlikely you would touch that every every six months or every every year, whereas other systems may move faster. So having a common data architecture and an open architecture is, is I feel, is important no matter what the strategy is. Um, in, 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 in case of a best of breed ERP, you have the ERP that is, you know, the idea is to have less customization, but then you need to be able to plug that into... Um, other applications, some of which could be industry, um, you know, standard applications, right? Uh, asset management, uh, you know, there's software that you deploy for that. Travel and expense, you know, like you may be running Concur uh, or you may run Salesforce for CRM. So in, in that scenario, you you definitely want to have a way to, to really create that uh, flexibility by having a data strategy that allows you to embrace the data across this ecosystem, not just the ERP, right? So, mm -hmm. so having an ERP database in the traditional way, you know, if you have analytical store and the rows, uh, you know, transaction store in the same place, you're in luck if you, all of your data is in that ERP. Uh, but if, if it is not, which is most likely the case, you need to have a data strategy. How are you going to, to do uh, deploy insights to your organization? How are you going to deploy things like uh, AI ML to, to automate your business process? Or if you have RPA, all of these tools require um, access to data, access to APIs to really influence it. Um, right. So that's what I would call an open architecture. And, and that's something that any organization, it doesn't have to be in for user, but uh, you just need to think about that so that over time, you create that, uh, you know, very flexible architecture as your business transforms itself over time, it doesn't necessitate you to go back and, you know, change your ERP or upgrade your ERP, which is a, it's a lot of work. 
um, that's sort of what I what I think is fundamental to 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 deploying, whether you're deploying horizontal or, or uh, best of breed. Right. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, which is that architecture and the data architecture piece that you just described. I asked that in the context of the best of breed model, but you made a really good point, which is even if you're using a vertical uh, or, or a, I'm sorry, a horizontal single integrated quote unquote, and I'll use the, I'll use quotes around the word integrated. It's a single integrated ERP system. A lot of times it's not really that different than the best of breed model. And you mentioned concur um, as an example, which leads me to SAP. Let's just pick on SAP for a minute. If you, you look at SAP S4 HANA, they sort of position and market that solution as a single unified system. But in reality, first of all, that product is very complex. There's a lot of different modules that you have to integrate and you, have, you still have to worry about architecture and all the things you just described, even though it's a single ERP system. But then you add to the fact that they've also acquired these different providers like Ariba, Concur, as you mentioned, um, success factors on the HR and HCM side. SAP even has become somewhat of a best of breed or at least a hybrid um, sort of sort of vendor. So I think everything you're, you're describing is important, even if you aren't pursuing that best of breed model, even if you're pursuing the single, you know, horizontal ERP system, you still have to have that. I mean, would you agree with that, that need for architecture and data integration and APIs and all the stuff you just described? 100%. Um, you know, I, I can sort of use an industry uh, example, which probably will resonate with everyone. We all go to doctors and, um, you know, sometimes we have to, to, to go to a hospital or, you know, if you think about a nurse, you know, we serve that, uh, you know, that, that vertical, right. If you're a nurse, um, what is important to, to them, right? Like, so is it the ERP where, where your, um, your, your, your human capital, you know, like success factor is equivalent, like our workday or our info, you have your record where you can go look at your paycheck and things like that, but you have other systems where I'm managing the nurse's uh, schedule for the day, looking at the condition of the patient, how many hours should they be working with this patient? That's operational for that nurse, right? So right. no matter what, I mean, the, 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 the really, if you look at the persona on the other side, they don't really think of it as like an ERP. They think of it's like, what's the, what's the, the process I need to be part of? And the tools I need to to use to to be um, efficient in in what I do, bringing that together is what I'm saying. Like it requires proper thought in terms of bringing the data together so you can make better decisions. Like for example, we pull clinical data, so we don't we know the condition of a patient. If two pe two people come in with pneumonia but one has dementia, you better make sure that the nurse has more time to spend with the patient with dementia, right? Like so. Right. Is that that's what I mean by interoperability? So bringing the the systems together, data together to make better decisions drives the efficiency of the organization. Right. We're here with Soma from Infor Software talking about ERP software versus best of breed, the pros, the cons, and the things you need to think about as you try to determine which path is right for you. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break though. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control.
If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Soma, who is the President and Chief Technology Officer at Infor Software, one of the leading and largest ERP software providers in the world. And he's on the show talking about ERP software versus best of breed. Let's jump back into the conversation. It's one of those work streams, too, when you talk about data, architecture, integration, everything you just described. You think about what causes a project to get delayed or what's on the critical path of a transformation or an ERP implementation. And oftentimes it's that it's the everything you just described, the integration, the building, the APIs, the, the data migration and mapping and all that stuff. I mean, all that stuff can you know heavily influence the time and effort it takes to, to go through a transformation for sure. Um, what about, I want to turn to the audience here. And again, I apologize. This is going to be a, a bit clumsy because I'm looking at multiple devices here as we talk and I'm, and I'm looking away from you, Soma, and I apologize for that. But um, I'm trying to find some, good, some of the good questions here we're getting on the different streams. Um, but here's a, a question from YouTube, which is a good question here, which is how might an ERP platform be tailored for one industry versus another? What would be different about it? And you sort of, you started to, you mentioned something in passing. You talked about the, um, the, the uh, I think it was an aerospace company that had 1.2 million parts. Um, you, you sort of, you sort of uh, talked about that, but maybe give us a couple examples in addition to that of specific, you know, industry needs that can't necessarily be tailored by a horizontal ERP system and, and maybe describe what some of those last mile capabilities might be. Just a couple examples, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I will just build on the, the examples that they already started using, right? So, so in the, if you're in the food and beverage side, dairy or, or bakery or, or, or you know breweries, you you are buying your ingredients that are that are part of your bill of material, are supplied largely influenced largely by Mother Nature, right? So you you have to rely on the fact that you buy tomatoes to make soup. Not every season, every tomato comes in the same shape, same moisture. It doesn't work like that, right? So you have the complexity of what I would call formulations, right? So everyone's familiar with Coca-Cola, like there's a secret sauce, no pun intended, behind what 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 goes into it, right? So, but it's always consistent. You get a ca can of Campbell's soup, no matter where you pick it up in in the United States, it tastes exactly the same. How do they do that, right? So, it it has functionality behind it. When the truck arrives with tomatoes. The, the supplier might have shipped it weighing at the way, way station at their side and they think there's 39,500 pounds of uh, uh, tomatoes. You receive it on the other side, there is calibration difference and you get 39,000. Are you going to dispute that 500? That type of process 
is very nuanced, right? Mm. That's built into the, so if it is built into the solution that you set tolerances, you, you know, you just run your processes much smoother, right? And the formulation that, that, that goes into it um, is very nuanced. The, label, the nutritional label or the label claims you do, reduce sodium or whatever, that's very specific to them. Let me contrast to the aircraft manufacturer, right? We have a customer who um, uh, builds jets, uh, supplies to uh, you know Saudi Air Force, uh, Royal Air Force in, in uh, UK, um, and so on. You generally run these things. These programs run for years, right? So if you have an F-35 program, that's a you know 20-year program. You're building fleet, and that's you generally get paid based on milestones that you reach, not based on uh, actual delivery. Right, so there is a lot of regulation in terms of how you can interchange parts from one fleet to the other fleet. Uh, you know, there's a lot of details there. Not enough time here to go through that, but you could see in the one side, you build build up a plane with two two million plus parts. You can disassemble them. Once you make the soup, you can't go backwards. Right, like it's a very different process. Right, right. so having that in your process, well, I, I can tell you, I've worked with. Uh, one of the largest, uh, you know, grocery retailer in, in the U.S., right? They have uh, bakeries all over U.S. One of them happens to be in uh, Denver, your hometown. Right. Uh, because it's a mile high, the formulation needs to be different. The East Country needs to be different, right? Mm-hmm. So does your, does your ERP system support that, that kind of variations, so that you don't need to go and customize the solution, right? So that's what I mean by building solutions that are purpose-built. I don't want to build an ERP just for dairy. That's not economical. But but you can build one for food and beverage, fashion. Let's say what's common between chemicals, fashion, and and food and beverage. There's something common. They all measure their SKUs with their attributes, Mm. right? Size, fit, color, and fashion, potency in chemical, or butterfat content in milk. You, You could see some connection there. Like, so we can... You can build something that is uh, has cross-industry, um, you know, adjacent innovation, but it doesn't have the bloat of something like an aerospace and defense. We've got nothing to do with the bakery. Right. That's a great. That's a great example. I mean, it's uh, you're also touching on a whole unit of measure um, complexity and nuance that that a lot of times ERP systems struggle with, which is, you know, you you talk about Coca-Cola, for example. You, you buy one can, but one can equals 16 ounces. And so you have two different units of measure you have to track. You have to track the one can, but you also have to track the 16 ounces. And that's creates a lot of complexity and it wreaks havoc on a lot of, a lot of vertical ERP systems. But to your point, it's, it's an example of how an industry specific need that is an absolutely a requirement. You can't just brush that off and say, well, we, we just will we just won't use the whole unit of measure conversion thing. We'll, we'll find a way around that. I, I don't think you're going to find a way around that <laughs> to run your business effectively. So I think that it's a great point. Um, there's a question I want to get to that sort of leads into uh, maybe a thread, a middle ground I want to get to here. I've, I've been asking you a lot of questions so far in sort of a, a very binary, either or black and white sort of mentality of do I want a vertical single ARP system or a horizontal single ARP system or do I want a best of breed model? But there's some sort of a, a hybrid here that, that uh, we can touch on too. And this is from Brian on LinkedIn. Uh, Brian says, a composable approach that makes best use of standard ERP functionality with industry-specific best of breed and custom tailored applications where they provide distinct competitive advantage. So he's sort of 
leading us into this discussion around a hybrid model where you take what you can and you use, you use that sort of that horizontal single ERP software, that core back office ERP software, but then you use industry specific applications where appropriate to give you that competitive advantage or to address those industry specific needs. Maybe talk a little bit about this hybrid model. What is a hybrid model? What is that middle ground that we could be looking at? It's not, so in other words, it's not either or, it's not just single ARP or best of breed. It's, it's sort of that middle ground. How, maybe describe that for us, help us understand what that might look like. Yeah. Um, this goes back to what I was saying that even if you run a horizontal ERP, most companies have more than just that one application, right? So, so why did they do that? Because they need have a need to go beyond whether it could be a horizontal uh, um, business process requirement like CRM, or it could be something so specific in their manufacturing that, that they need something um, that as a bolt-on, right? So while the different the industries represented on in this even in this audience is quite varied, right? So we can't answer in detail on every one of them. But what is common is that you need an open architecture. You need a data strategy that that actually thinks about the fact that you are uh, you have a hybrid approach, whether you like it or not. The hybrid approach has two aspects to it. One multiple applications connected together to support your business process. That's a hybrid deployment. Also, some applications may be running in the cloud. Some applications may be running on-premise. That's another view on hybrid, right? So Salesforce, you have no choice. It's only running in the cloud, period, right? Mm -hmm. So are you running Infor's HCM or someone else's HCM? It's only running in the cloud, right? So, right. but then you have other choices. So, the, so to me, the hybrid approach um, is uh, is a reality. It is it, it is something that we don't think about, but most companies do have that in their uh, in their ecosystem. So, having once you are in that, if you have an open architecture that is in place, you have choices you can make. You you're not cornered into selecting a, an application that is not really fit for purpose, and you tailor that for yourself versus buying something that is tailored subscribe to a service that really is tailored, but then it doesn't make you do a lot of heavy lifting to connect it into your ecosystem. So mm -hmm. I do think that hybrid in either it's cloud and on-prem or, or uh, multiple applications in your ecosystem is, is, is a reality. I would like to hear if, if the audience thinks differently because there's always something to learn, but, but what I know, this is, this is what I've seen. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, um, there's a, a comment, um, and I, I'll be curious as well, by the way, to see you know what the audience thinks and, and which of these models is resonating the most with you so far um, in, in our discussion. Is it the the single ERP model, the best of breed, or, or sort of the hybrid? Just I'd love to see in the chat what you think is the best model here. Um, but here's a question I want to get to that actually I, I don't know how to answer this question or respond to it. So I want to see if maybe you do so much. It's, it's kind of a tough one. Um, this is from Israel on YouTube. Israel says, hi, guys, I think you're missing out on a very important thing. At the end of the day, the vendor wants to sell and he will be whatever the customer needs. That's why the vendor will be everything he can sell, he or she can sell. So in other words, it sounds like what, what Israel is saying is that naturally vendors are going to provide whatever capabilities the software needs as long as they can sell it. Um, would you agree with that? Or, or, or do you think that any vendor could provide anything that 
that a customer might need even these last mile capabilities that you're talking about or, or what's your knee-jerk reaction to that? Um, my knee-jerk reaction is, you know, sales aside, what is the reality? They, they, can you, so uh, really this is a dumb example, right? So when you, I have a general practitioner, a family doctor that I go to, right? right. Generally, that's all I need. But if I have a condition, I have a heart disease, yeah, I, I don't think the general practitioner is going to be able to, to help me much. I need to go to a cardiologist. So it, 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 so if you just use that as the, the, it's a very dumb example, but speciality does matter, right? So if, if mm -hmm. when something is so specific, it solves your problem better than somebody else, it does help, right? When you need that, you need that. Like I mentioned nurse scheduling in the, in the, in the healthcare. Yeah, that is something that's going to benefit because nurses are burnt out, you know, especially after COVID. Yeah, they just don't want to be in that profession. Like you want to make sure that you retain uh, nurses, you allocate that sufficient time for them. Don't make them walk back and forth. A, a nurse in a shift walks nine miles, in, in at least in the mm -hmm. U.S. That's, that's kind of a study has shown that. That's nine miles of walking that's really healthy for the nurse, but, but it's a waste of time, right? So yeah. Uh, should, they should be spending more time on, with the patient. That's what the nuances that I'm talking about, right? So that I don't believe that anyone can deliver that. You had to be specialized to be able to deliver that. Right. We're here with Soma from Infor Software talking about ERP software versus best of breed, the pros, the cons, and the things you need to think about as you try to determine which path is right for you. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Soma, who is the president and chief technology officer at Infor Software, one of the leading and largest ERP software providers in the world. And he's on the show talking about ERP software versus best of breed. Let's jump back into the conversation. You might be able to sell it. It doesn't mean it's the right fit. It doesn't mean yeah. it's, it's a good idea, but um, I guess back to Israel's point. Um, software vendors that compete with that scenario. And even if they don't have strong capabilities in that area of nurse scheduling in that example, you're probably still going to try and sell some, you know, some half solution that might be able to sort of address those needs, but it doesn't mean it's the right, the right fit. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, obviously the, the seller is motivated to sell whatever they can. Right. So, um, 
that's that's what they're paid to do. But but it's as a as a buyer on the other side, we want to make sure that we we really get the capabilities we need. Right. Absolutely. Well, here's a comment from uh, Julio on LinkedIn. Julio says, I agree. In my personal opinion, the difference is being done by how you can tailor make the software based on the customer needs. Um, so, so I think Julio is sort of leaning towards this uh, either hybrid or, or best of breed model to, to provide those last mile uh, capabilities. Um, here's a, a, a question, an interesting question from Ryan on LinkedIn. Ryan says, it seems with the emergence of AI platforms that there's a best of breed approach to linking software platforms together to leverage each platform's best in class AI software. How does AI or machine learning impact your thinking as it pertains to the future of larger ERP systems? Do you see the ERP vendors creating their own AI features or plugging in third party AI systems? So we can't, it's hard to have a conversation these days without talking about AI uh, or ChatGPT. Um, so, so let's talk about AI for a minute. How, how do you, what do you think to Ryan's question there? No, this is a, that's a great question. Um, so it, you know, we, I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I will use an info example. Not, I'm not trying to just say that Infor's approach is the best approach or, or not, but that's for you to judge. But if you really think about, you know, in, in industry specificity and we have more than one platform, clearly, right? So more than one ERP to, to go to go to go to market. It created an economic disadvantage for us. So how do we do this in a smart way? So we built this architecture, uh, what I would call in an event-driven architecture, where when things happen in the application, it pushes in a verbose fashion data out to to uh, a data lake, right? So mm-hmm. so you have all this data coming from various applications into one place. And you build these things like you, you may deploy the capability through a mobile app, which may be completely tailor-made by, by the customer, but you still want to have an API strategy that can get back to the, to the service you need so you don't have to, to write a whole lot of customization, right? So, so if you take those two things that I keep harping on, then now if you look at AI, the AI uh, capabilities in a typical organization, at least what I've seen, is that you're either trying to automate a business process that human beings don't have to be part of something that's mundane, right? or you are optimizing, could be inventory optimization or in aerospace and defense bid optimization, you're optimizing things. Or if those two things don't happen in that order, you're at least providing insight to a, to a user to make a better decision. Like you go to Amazon, you buy something, it tells you people who bought this, bought this other thing as well. That's more a recommendation that that it drives your behavior, right? So, right. if those three things, I feel, influence the business process. So, what we did is is essentially we we were built deployed on AWS as I, like I said. So we use SageMaker, which is their AI platform. We built our IP on top of that. We have a data lake, so the the AI platform really leverages the data that is in the data lake that is not just ERP data across your ecosystem. You solve whatever problem you're trying to solve, you want to be able to influence the, the, the business process. So by using the API, you go and either automate or optimize or provide insight in the user experience, right? So in a sense, every AI platform has its own capabilities, right? So you can have, you know, a Watson that solves, uh, um, you know, somebody's uh, medical issue, right? So that's a different kind of problem versus, in a typical business, you're trying to do what I just described, right? So uh, that's 
So AI has a lot to play with, with this. And chat GPT is, is more of a conversational side of it, right? So as time goes on, that's going to have influence as well. Instead of the, the typical user experience, it may be a completely different kind of user experience, how right. they consume it, which brings, brings me back to an API strategy and data strategy, mm. right? If you have that right and a security strategy, clearly, then it, it, anything that happens as time goes on doesn't create a huge barrier for adoption. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing we haven't touched on yet, we've we've sort of danced around it or, or come up on this, but we haven't really delved into it, is this, we've talked about best of breed, we've talked about horizontal integrated ERP systems, we've talked about a hybrid model. What about software platforms? Um, what What is a software platform? And, and, you know, feel free to use Infor as an example, because I know you guys sort of prescribed to this model and, and have used it to to as part of your product strategy, but maybe talk about what, what is a platform and how is that different than what we're talking about here so far? Yeah. I mean, you know, platform is a word that sort of people use it in a loose fashion. Um, but if you have a monolithic application, that's got a lot of configuration setting, you can have 90,000 dials to, to, to tweak, to do what you need to do. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of monolithic. It does what it does. And you can, you can sort of turn off things and turn on things to, to get what you need. Mm-hmm. A platform, um, in my opinion, allows for an ecosystem to work well, right? Not just this one application that we are talking about, right? So, so the, the info, right, uh, our idea, right? So again, you know, uh, you are the judge. Uh, so we have AWS services at the bottom. Right, so you have Amazon S3, which we are using for our data lake. But we want, we don't want to expose directly the AWS services directly to the user. So we have this layer called uh, Info, um, uh, you know, Open Architecture, Open Service, which sits on top of that, which has the integration layer, the API layer, the data, data, data lake layer, security, and so on. Right, unstructured data and all that. So you have a layer on top of that, and then you have the app on top of that. Right. So the, you, you have specific apps, so, you know, in your best of breed example, you could have a PLM system, you could have a CRM system that sit on, sits on top of that. And if you, if you have that layered approach and you have a user experience on top, which is a portal architecture, where you want to, at the end of the day, just using, uh, you know, SAP example, if I, if I have Concur and, and have uh, Ariba and I have uh, success factors, I have S4 HANA, for the end user who's in a particular role, they shouldn't have to worry about you know which application I'm going to, right? right? So I just get the service I need. I want to get my job done and do my day job versus sitting with the system and spending more time with it, right? So that so if you, if you look at it at that layers, creating a platform architecture that allows for these apps to sit in the right layer, um, I feel will give us all. I mean, whether I'm a software vendor or an end user company, uh, it gives me a lot more opportunity to to morph it into what I need in my organization versus being handcuffed. Yeah, it's a great point. That's well, that's a great summary of what a, what a platform is. And I think it's a, it's a way for us all as organizations to fight that battle or find that right balance between I want standardization and I want commonality in my platforms. I don't want a spaghetti bowl diagram of a hundred different applications. That's what I had before. I'm trying to move away from that. 
So, you know, we would all love for that pendulum to swing all the way to the other extreme where we find that silver bullet magic uh, horizontal ERP system that's fully integrated, gives us everything we want. But I think what we're saying here is in many cases, if not most cases, that's just not realistic. So we're trying to find, fight that battle between commonality, single system, but we're also trying to retain flexibility and agility. And those are two competing, conflicting priorities. And I think what you're describing here with software platform strategy, which is really looking at your platform and the ecosystem of applications you're using, you can have some commonality there that allows you to sort of have the best of both worlds in some ways. Um, you, you've got some standardization, you've got some integration, you, you have some uh, commonality and, and uh, integration between systems, but you also have flexibility. You're not, to your point, you're not locked in or backed into a corner on what the limitations of just one, one application might be. Um, and I, and I'm curious too, you know, back in the nineties, you look back to when you and I were really kind of coming up in the industry, or in my case, I was starting out in, in the nineties. And, um, even in the early two thousands, you would talk about best of breed as, and it sort of had a negative connotation. You know, it, it's sort of like, yeah, best of breed. That's just, you know, no single source of truth. It's too complex. Sort of, and I think a lot of that negative perception has carried through into the 2020s for, especially for people that have been in the industry for a long time. But I think, you know, what I'm seeing is that you mentioned interoperability, you mentioned um, software platforms, as we were talking about here now, you have all these different options that you didn't really have that weren't really as viable of options as they were 10 or 20 years ago. Um, you know, do you see that continuing in that direction? Or what do you think the future is here with with sort of these different paths we're talking about? Do they all coexist? peacefully and there's just going to be different options for different people or do you think one of these schools of thought might sort of dominate here later in the 2020s into the 2030s yeah i don't have the crystal ball but uh, <laughs> but but certainly you make a very good point sometimes uh, ideas are way ahead of time and mm -hmm. and we don't have the right technology uh, i remember you know sun microsystems um you know, the CEO announcing like, you know, uh, something called Genie, which will be basically your refrigerator will know exactly when you need milk and this, you know, things like that, right? So technology wasn't there. Cloud wasn't there. Cloud was only associated with weather at that time, right? Like, so it's, it's, it's a very different world we are living in now. I do have a refrigerator. I can go to the, the grocery store. I can turn on the camera in my, in my fridge to see what I have. Do I really have tomatoes or not? Right, so the technologies sometimes it requires time to mature so i do think that the the best of breed idea when in the in the early uh, you know in the 80s and 90s it was best of breed then it became you know let's go to single because the technologies were too complex and right. i think it's now becoming more ubiquitous that you can use that but i'll also tell you i don't think there is any company that is not thinking about either getting bought or they're buying somebody right so mm -hmm. Industries are always consolidating. And as soon as you acquire a company, guess what? You now have two ERP platforms. Um, so point. whether you like it or not, you have to now integrate. The first thing you do is not to replace the ERP. The first thing is you do is to integrate the business, get visibility into data, which is why I go back to what I said. It, you know, Even in a scenario where horizontal ERP may be fine uh, for, for, a, for an organization, maybe the best thing to, to do but you still need a data strategy and an API strategy because industries do consolidate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. We're here with Soma from Infor Software talking about ERP software versus best of breed, the pros, the cons, and the things you need to think about as you try to determine which path is right for you. 
We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. When things are big, that should be small. Who can tell what magic spells we'll be doing? Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Soma, who is the President and Chief Technology Officer at Infor Software, one of the leading and largest ERP software providers in the world. And he's on the show talking about ERP software versus best of breed. Let's jump back into the conversation. And oftentimes when you're a private equity backed company, let's just say, and you've gone out and acquired another company with a different system, oftentimes the last thing the PE firm wants you to do is go through a massive rip and replace of the systems across the company or the companies. And so this interoperability, the integration, all the stuff you're talking about here is a good sort of lower risk sort of option that allows you to, again, get some of that low hanging fruit, get some business value without necessarily taking on the cost or risk of a massive ERP replacement. Exactly. Yeah. Great point. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of really good questions coming in. So I'm trying to cherry pick a couple here. Um, Here's a, since we're on the thread of integration, I'll take this question here from Brian on LinkedIn, who says, building on your last comments, do you think that the integration technologies available today are mature enough to enable the hybrid approach? And is it possible to harmonize, harmonize and interoperate the data model across applications? Yeah, uh, another great question. So I can, you know, I can only speak from my own experience. So I apologize if I use in for uh, examples. Um, so what, what we had the same challenge, right? So what we did was basically we took the um, open application group standards. So they, we took their canonical model as the way to describe data. So um, we took it, we didn't, uh, we built our own um, IP on top of it because not everything was re uh, really useful for us. But the fundamentals of having a canonical model, if you say location, what does that mean, right? If you, uh, uh, you have a one way, one way to, to define a customer. And even if you have duplicates, customer codes, you can start to build uh, deduping, you know, oh, customer A and customer B actually are the real, really the same customer. You can build mm -hmm. fuzzy logic. So we, we built uh, uh, all our, you know, the data models outside of the ERP and other these best of breed applications we are talking about, independent of them, create an industry data model that supports the fact that you could be running whatever applications you're running, but at the end of the day, if you can get me the data that I need, you have an industry data model that I can use for my own innovation. When I say my own, I'm talking from, from the audience side, right? You can build your innovation, but you are not 
directly touching the ERP, right? So right. you have the data externalized and you build your own industry data model. So using, um, it doesn't have to be open application group. It, we, we found that to be useful for us, but having a common data model that allows for that uh, innovation to happen outside of your core applications is definitely a good way to, to build a you know, resilient architecture. Right, right. Now, now what about, um, I actually got some, some messages on LinkedIn and even to my email when, when we announced that you were going to be on this live stream and a couple of people pinged me and said, Hey, can you, you know, can you ask him, can you ask Soma some questions around Infor's product strategy? Um, and, and I think it might be helpful to not only understand Infor's uh, product suite and what the different applications are, but also in the context of what specific, how are you, you're using different applications to tailor your solutions for different markets. So could you give us sort of a, a high level 20,000 foot overview of the Infor product suite and how you're, how you're creating these sort of hybrid solutions for different industries. Yeah. Don't, don't want it to be a commercial on Infor, but, but this is, this is what we did, right? So basically, as I mentioned during the course of this last hour, we picked few industries where we feel we have industry expertise in our solution and we have people with expertise. Um, so, so we chose um, healthcare uh, as a key focus area for us because uh, you know uh, mostly in North America, not not outside of North America, and then manufacturing split into discrete and process manufacturing. So we have three platforms that really support these three different verticals, right? So, so one supports you know there is no order management in in healthcare, uh, whereas in 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 uh, manufacturing you do, right? So. So we built three platforms. We built this common platform that I've mentioned called InforOS, which is, call it the digital backbone on which everything is built. So it, it supports a, a common single gateway API strategy. It has an event-driven, this OIGS can, canonical model, right? It supports data being published in an event-driven fashion near real time into a data lake. It supports unstructured data, like a scanned invoice, for example, um, and on and on. So we built these common services in one place. Functional components that are common, uh, like uh, budgeting and planning, can be common, right? So like mm -hmm. an uh, Oracle EPM kind of solution. So we picked the, the, uh, the, the best of breed capabilities that can span horizontally across applications. So you have three uh, ERP platforms that support these industries that go deeper in functionality. You have common engineering services that supports a digital backbone, which sits on top of AWS. And we have these best of breed edge apps, like the SAP example, right? So if you were to have a single user experience for Concur and Ariba and success factors and, and de de deployed based on a persona who's using the system, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but our idea was if, if you buy something from Infor and deploy it, buy, not buy, subscribe to a service in the cloud, um, you, you should have a single user experience. You should have a point of view in terms of uh, an integration. Won't be perfect, but at least it's a point of view. Like here's how these things work together. Um, right. so, so we essentially support seven key focus industries, which I already mentioned. One is inside discrete, it's aerospace and defense, uh, automotive, both specialty OEMs, as well as uh, suppliers, tier one suppliers, tier two suppliers, uh, industrial manufacturing. And then you have uh, 
fashion, food and beverage, distribution, and then healthcare, and and secondarily in public sector. That's that's uh, the those are the industries we serve uh, primarily, and um, and we basically continue to invest in these three platforms to go deeper and deeper to support capabilities that require less and less customization. Right. You know, you made a good comment right there um, in passing, but also uh, when we were, you and I were prepping for this conversation last week, you made a comment that I, I hadn't really thought of in this context, but you, you mentioned the word capability. And you talked about how Infor has acquired different software providers over the years, not only to get the IP, you know, the technology IP itself and being able to build those capabilities from a technical perspective, but also you're acquiring industry specific capabilities and just sort of general organizational knowledge of industries. And I thought that was just a really interesting perspective. I mean, it's, it, it sounds like common sense when you say it, but I hadn't really thought of it in that context. And I thought that was a really good point that when you think about the capabilities of a software provider or vendor that you might be considering, it's not just what the software can do, but it's also organizationally, you know, how that organization or that vendor supports a certain industry or a certain function or whatever the case may be. I think that's a really important consideration as you're evaluating vendors. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess just to bring this all full circle and, and to sort of um, put a put a ribbon on this whole conversation, we've talked about a lot of different models here. We've talked about the ERP, the single ERP model, the best of breed, um, the hybrid model, the software platform model. If I'm a organization that's about to start a digital transformation, I'm trying to figure out what my options are and what's the best option for me. You know, what do what what are some high level recommendations you would give to organizations to? help them determine which strategy or strategies are going to make the most sense for them as an organization. Yeah. I, you know, um, just to kind of summarize, I, I think it's not that you go out immediately, look for, you know, applications that you can deploy in your ecosystem first, you know, kind of look in the mirror in terms of what capabilities you need uh, for your organization's business transformation or digital transformation, your acquisition strategy over the years and, and, and the secret sauce that you have to differentiate yourself in the business and then work from there to, to really, uh, you know, look at a, look at a, a blueprint of what, what kind of capabilities you need to really support that transformation for your organization. And then you start to fill the puzzle in terms of what really makes sense, whether it's a horizontal ERP capability that, that solves that problem for you or a, or a best of breed, uh, in some cases, the combination of the two. Uh, do you really embrace a cloud strategy or do you really want to control your data and everything in your data center? It, these are all decisions you make before you start to look at uh, how do I assemble these capabilities together, right? So. It's, it's an exercise that every company should do um, and, and have a blueprint that, that can sustain itself for the next, let's say, at least five to 10 years, if not beyond right. that. And, and then, you, then I think what you do, decision-making becomes easier. Um, it creates a sustainable uh, plan uh, from, a, from a digital ecosystem. Right. Yeah, that's, that's well said. It's uh, almost like you need to look in the mirror, look at who you are today, and then look to the future and look at what you're trying to become in the future and which of these paths is going to best align with that. And I think the other thing too, is to recognize that there aren't any silver bullets too. I think, you know, we're all looking for that silver bullet, that easy answer, that thing that mitigates all the risk that just takes away all these trade-offs and risks. And that, I guess the reality here is that 
there's just going to be trade-offs. There's going to be risks and there's going to be, um, you know, one model, for example, the, the hybrid model might uh, solve the, the flexibility challenge by providing a more flexible option, but it's creating maybe perhaps a little bit more technical complexity in that now you need to integrate multiple systems. So um, I think a lot of times though, we forget that there, you know, that there's actually an upsides and downsides to any of these paths. And I think it's just a matter of looking at which of these paths best aligns with where you are today and where you're headed in the future. And that answer oftentimes is different for different organizations. So um, it's well said for on your, your point there about how to, how to determine that best strategy and to look in the mirror uh, as a starting point to, to get there. Uh, well, great. Well, um, how can people connect with you? If, if I want to connect with you, learn more about you or just learn more about Infor, how do I connect with you personally? How do I connect and learn more about Infor? What are some takeaways we could? Yeah. Um, uh, I wasn't joking that I'm known by one name. So my right. email is soma at infor.com. You don't need to spell my last name. Um, so um, I'm always um, happy to sort of learn because I, I don't know a whole lot. I know a few things, but uh, I've, I've learned that over the years. So right. if, if there are things that, that, that are mutually beneficial, that uh, ideas that, uh, you know, that, that helps me and ideas that can help you, always ready to engage. Soma at Infor.com. Great. And of course, Infor.com is where we can learn more about the Infor product suite if we want to learn more about uh, M3 and Sightline and all the different uh, solutions you guys provide and where it fits. So be sure to check that out too if you want to learn more about Infor. All right. Thank you so much. Great conversation. A lot to think about here. And I really enjoyed unpacking the pros and cons and the advantages and disadvantages of these different strategies and approaches that organizations can take as it relates to single ERP software versus best of breed and certainly those hybrid and software platform centric approaches as well. So we're going to unpack some of those concepts and threads that we talked about in a bit more detail uh, with just Kyler and I. We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And Kyler, we just had Soma from Infor Software on the show, a leading uh, thought leader and just general leader in the ERP software space, as he has been for, for years now. Uh, what were some of your thoughts or observations in this whole discussion and debate? It wasn't really a debate, although we could have, I suppose we could have turned it into one. Uh, but this whole discussion of ERP software versus best of breed, what were some of your thoughts there? Yeah, well, um, first of all, like what an honor. That was such an amazing conversation and such great experience just in the industry um, to have the opportunity to learn from. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you to Soma for joining us. 
Um, I think it's it's always interesting to me in these conversations that it really always comes back to one main thing. And it's really that that phase zero strategy. Because you can do and buy and implement whatever software or technology stack that you want within your organization. But if you lack that clear vision, it sounds like, then there really is no ability to achieve that maximum business value because everything will be broken if that foundation isn't solid. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very true. And it's, um, you know, as we were talking about the, the software platform approach, which is sort of a semi middle ground to the either or, you know, either you go single ERP platform or you go best of breed with multiple platforms. That software platform approach was very interesting because it it gives you a way to to address what you're saying, which is to, you know, to, to focus on the commonality and the consistency and integration and all that good stuff. Absolutely. And and I love um, his doctor analogy. I always love analogies, especially for a non-technical person like myself. It, it makes it really easy to understand um, to, you know, sometimes you have that primary care provider or that primary doctor that you see just for holistic health reasons, but then you see a specialist for other certain things. Um, and that's really that that industry specific or um, best of breed type of approach. Even a, an application, you know, can achieve those things that might be more specific to your competitive advantage um, as well. So there's just lots of options. And sometimes I feel as though it can be a bit overwhelming if you don't have that strong project leadership, management, governance, um, those types of really PMO focus, because that's kind of a, a lot of different moving parts that really need to align so you have a pure data strategy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he brought up a lot of good points, including data strategy and architecture and APIs and um, the, the whole platform concept. I mean, a lot of these things are fundamental decisions that need to be made. And this is the clarity you need to define for your digital strategy before you just jump in and start doing stuff with your, with your transformation or before you start just picking random technologies and um, going down the path of deploying those in the name of agile or whatever the case may be, you want to make sure that you're, you're deliberate and you've got a clear vision of where you're headed. So I think he's got, you know, he had some really good points around that as well. Yeah. I feel like agile and best of breed are like frenemies. It can go really well if it's done really well, but it can go really bad if it's done really bad. <laughs> yeah, and it's—I mean—it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If you're a small upstart or a small, really nimble entrepreneurial company, then sure, go best of breed, agile, all that stuff. But you're right—I mean, they—they—they they, kind of do go hand in hand because agile oftentimes is more focused on picking off individual smaller, bite-sized technologies for different parts of a business versus one big system that satisfies thousands of requirements across different locations or departments. So yeah, I think you're right, actually, I hadn't thought of that, but they do sort of go hand in hand when you, when you look at agile and best of breed and then waterfall and ERP or, you know, enterprise wide technologies typically uh, are more likely to go hand in hand or be aligned uh, as you would say going forward. Yeah. And I think you and Soma did such a good job of saying, like, don't really get enchanted by those. Really do your homework, know your organization, know, know your identity, know your technical needs, know your cultural needs, and all of those different pieces. Because if you don't have that strong foundational knowledge, then no matter what approach you take, it sounds like it's not going to be as successful if you're not clear as to kind of what, as you say, what you want to be when you grow up or defining that target operating model of what you want to achieve with this new technology. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. 
And that can be really overwhelming, especially when we talk about, like you guys did in the integration of newer technologies and what does chat GPT do? You know, like what right. does this technology do? And it's hard to kind of wrap your head around that opportunity. That's why a lot of times our role in those projects is being that subject matter expert and explaining those types of, of integrations or overall business case, as opposed to just the, the technical pieces um, of the actual software. But it can be really hard to understand that in today's day and age, because you want to be a, a visionary leader that brings a more technical mindset or digital mindset into your organization. But it, it's hard to know what you don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and I think that's what I love about that conversation with Soma is the idea here is that you have all these different options or paths you can go down strategically and really understanding the pros and cons and ultimately picking the path that best aligns with your strategy of who you are and what you're trying to be when you grow up or, or as you, you know, what, what your future state vision is, that's going to lead you down one path that might make great sense to you, but it may not make sense to another organization that might on paper look similar to you. So you know, as, as you probably sensed in the conversation, our goal was not to sell any one idea or to proclaim a, a victor in that uh, the whole debate of single ARP, best of breed, software platforms, hybrid, it, you know, it just depends on what it is you're looking for and where you're, where you're headed as an organization. And I think you did a great job helping us understand what some of those trade-offs are. Absolutely. Well, what a great conversation. And thank you so much to you and Soma for all of that that great insight and thank you to the audience for all those great questions those were those were thinkers those questions those really made made you guys work for answering those um so what you know a great intelligent conversation yeah there were some tough questions there i, I didn't have good answers to but uh but soma certainly did so that was helpful um well good well that was a great conversation and thank you uh, again to soma for being here we'll hope to have him on the show again at some point in the future it's great to have him on for the first time and uh, look forward to the next one so um Speaking of, uh, I would say speaking of first time guests, but this next guest is not at all a first time guest. He's been on multiple times uh, on this show. Uh, his name is Scott Janke. He is a director of strategy and transformation at Third Stage Consulting's North America office. So he's someone that uh, Kyler and I work pretty closely with day to day. And he's going to be on the show uh, chatting with you, Kyler, about a digital transformation case study of a current client in the packaging industry. And uh, don't let the packaging industry piece of it uh, distract you if you're not in the packaging industry, because a lot of what uh, you guys are going to talk about is, I'd say, industry agnostic. And it's a way to understand some of the nuances of your industry, whatever that might be, and how you might apply digital transformation to your unique situation. So, and certainly if you are in the packaging industry, uh, coincidentally, you're, you'll, you'll love the conversation because it's very specific to that industry. But I think it's meant to be a broader conversation as well. So we'll uh, bring Scott onto the show, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Everything you ever 
welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday, streaming to LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter every Wednesday, and then also dropping on audio podcast platforms throughout the world as well. So be sure to subscribe, like, share, comment, let us know what you think of the show. We love your feedback, so we'd love to hear from you. Um, our last guest, last but not least on today's show, is Scott Jenke, who uh, was just on the show, I believe, last week or the week before. Um, uh, I interviewed him to talk about uh, digital strategy theory versus reality, and he's back. He's back for more. He's back on the show to chat with you, Kyler, this time about a digital transformation case study in the packaging industry. And uh, Scott is uh, Director of Strategy and Transformation here in North America or in our North American office at Third Stage. And uh, he also um, happens to be a former professor, too. He has, he's got a PhD and uh, used to teach digital transformation and IT stuff uh, at, at university levels. So look forward to having him on the show again. Uh, but uh, let me turn it over to you, Kyler, to pick up this conversation with Scott Jenke. Great. Thanks, Eric. Well, welcome back, Scott. Long time no see. I've been with Third Stage for a couple of years now, currently in a, a director of a digital transformation role. Uh, been in consulting most of my career, uh, going on 30 plus years, uh, but also spent a, a number of uh, uh, positions in operations, both at a, a VP level as, and a C level as well. Uh, and just kind of spent my uh, the last couple decades just mirroring up the fact that uh, technology alone is meaningless unless it actually does some transformation of the operation. So uh, uh, glad to be here. Um, Let's see, the, the, the case study that uh, I'm bringing to the table today, uh, we were brought in to do a, an assessment of an active project uh, within the packaging industry. This, uh, this organization is uh, quite large, uh, 20 plus billion in revenue. Uh, and I think over, probably starting before COVID, but uh, throughout COVID uh, acquired and has grown quite a bit in their operational and realized um, after the fact that their technology didn't meet uh, or didn't fit well with the current business model. So uh, this particular client went through the evaluation, decided to move forward with uh, an ERP platform uh, and brought us in to kind of do that double check. Uh, for those who have spent time on our on YouTube and LinkedIn, other uh, video sources, uh, we spent a lot of time as third stage in providing guidance towards organizations uh, to navigate through the landmines uh, within an implementation. So that was exactly what this, uh, this group hired us. Um, very large project going on probably about five years and, and well over uh, north of $250 million. So uh, they were right to uh, be hesitant and be um, looking out for the threats that might be uh, lurking behind uh, closed doors to make sure that this large uh, transformation project uh, goes well. Absolutely. That insurance policy, right, as we kind of talk about it for your transformation. So when you are engaged with a company specifically of that size, because it sounds like a pretty complex and obviously very expensive project, um, where do you start in those types of health assessments Um for technology implementations um, or just to make sure that the implementation is on track to achieve maximum business results? Yeah, um, something we do uh, in all of our projects, uh, both in a strategy type engagement, but also prior to embarking upon a, an, uh, an ERP selection, as we really do an assessment of the, the leadership and find out exactly where they're going, where they're steering the ship. Um, technology, like I mentioned, means 
very little unless it uh, truly uh, transforms, but uh, uh, just increases the efficiency and effectiveness of the organization. So we usually start even an assessment on a project that has already started. Uh, we go back to the beginning. You know, what, what, is the, what was the, the driving um, factors in going forward with a, a large ARP implementation? Uh, what are the strategies? What's the goals and objectives of the organization 5, 10, 15 years from now? And what were those general pain points and thresholds and, and concerns they had with their current infrastructure why they went down this path? Um, we, we tend to really push hard on uh, our cl uh, clients as well as our prospects of before they embark upon a, a big transformation project, they really have to be committed to do that. Uh, I think everyone should not be surprised that uh, ERP implementations are are difficult, challenging, long, expensive. Uh, and not only do you wanna go through the implementation successful, but why were you do doing the implementation in the first place, right? What were the goals and objectives of the organization? So uh, even coming in midstream in a, in a project, we still go back to the beginning because at the end of the day, when things are difficult uh, at go live or maybe the year after go live, uh, the executives are gonna start scratching their heads because they probably have forgotten why they started on this journey in the, in the first place. Uh, so having that refreshed in their minds lets them go through this process and get through those difficult times because it is trying to achieve something successful for the project or for the company. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned mergers and acquisitions, which is something we see a lot um, here at Third Stage. What are some unique challenges to a company that is large, um, that is acquiring other companies from a technical and operational perspective? Um, we spend a lot of time at Third Stage on the communication and change management aspects of, of projects and transformations. Um, and, and really, the, the answer to that question and hopefully a direct uh, path is listening to your people, understanding what those challenges and obstacles are. Uh, even if you uh, are a single company and you go out over five years and buy a, another company every year and they have an in infrastructure and an ecosystem of working technology, at the end of the day, they still represent five distinct companies and do, does not represent a holistic view of that umbrella of organizations. So uh, even through successful mergers and acquisitions, you still have to assimilate those organizations. We, we don't ever expect that a single platform uh, from one vendor will satisfy all the needs of a large organization like the one I mentioned at the beginning of this call. Uh, but it's being very diligent and strategic of when you decide to go after an application that we either call a fringe application or a point solution uh, that the, the point solution a better fit for the organization than the, the ERP platform. But most of the time when we go through these ERP selections, it's because they've had all these little small little point solutions that have just accumulated over the years. Uh, but if you tag on that with uh, mergers and acquisitions, it, it doubles that, it triples that. Uh, and at the end of the day, is the C-suite or even the, the, the lieutenants underneath them, uh, are they getting the right data refreshed and current to make decisions? Uh, when you go through mergers and acquisitions, they tend to operate still independently. And we're just transferring chunks of data from one company to the other. And that's not a, a very effective or efficient way of running your organization. Uh, so, but you have to take the time and understand what are those pain points and obstacles that your team is facing uh, and bubble that up to a holistic strategic transformation uh, project. Yeah, definitely a tall order um, yeah. as well, a big, Absolutely. big project. Yeah. 
Um, and, and choosing a new software for the entire organization obviously will not only affect those kind of siloed um, M&A cultures that you had mentioned, but also the, the organization as a whole, obviously. So when you are a, a very, you know, large, complex organization, I can assume it can be kind of challenging to buy off-the-shelf software. Is there a higher level of customizations? And, and how do you ensure that those customizations, you don't fall down the black hole of customizing everything, um, as opposed to leaning on the structure of the core um, ERP system? Well, believe it or not, I, I actually think that a lot of these homegrown systems start off with smaller companies um, uh, because they can't afford to go out and buy a modern uh, solution. Uh, so they, they usually have a couple of IT hackers uh, inside the organization. They go off and, and acquire, if they already don't already have something like a SQL Server uh, back end, and they start developing their own stuff. Uh, and that's absolutely the best fit to an organization, but the absolute worst way to grow the organization. Uh, and many times, uh, in fact, I had a couple of calls today of a smaller, smaller firms than the one I mentioned. Uh, and not only do they have some off the shelf software, but they have a number of homegrown databases and dashboards and all that stuff. Well, guess what? When that one IT person leaves, right? All that information goes away. And in many times, if they are a company that has a, a, a number of on-premise uh, applications and they do some customizations because it is, um, on premise and they are, have the skill set, good or bad to actually develop some customized applications. We get called in to say that some of these updates on the software and security patches haven't been done in decades. And so just all kinds of risk assessments start flaring off that, uh, yes, if you want to have the absolute best fit, maybe customize is the, is what you're thinking. Uh, but from a long-term sustainability, that is uh, something we rarely uh, suggest or recommend. Uh, like I mentioned before, if, if there is something on an ERP platform uh, that doesn't fit them exactly the way they want it to meet, and rather than going down the customized uh, path, is to look for a point solution in that one area. Uh, case in point, uh, a lot, almost all of the ERP uh, vendors, if not all of them, have some form of a CRM. Uh, some way that they can track leads that turns into customers, but some of them are very basic and none of them go to the level of a, of a truly built solution like, let's say, Salesforce. So if they're only doing some email campaigns and they're just tracking contacts, the ERP solution is just fine. But if they already have a tool like Salesforce and they like it, uh, most of the contacts that we have with the ERP vendors will recommend staying with that and integrating together. So there's still a need to have point solutions. It's just a matter of, again, going back to what is the goal and objective of the organization and what do they need to be competitive in, in the marketplace? Back office applications do not need to be customized in my opinion, right? They're, they're do it like out of the box, but if it's something unique about your product line, reaching customers, reaching markets, and you need something more tailored, still a customized solution is probably not the path, but maybe a point solution is on that area. Okay, we are here with a conversation between Kyler and Scott Jenke talking about a digital transformation case study in the packaging industry. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If 
you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. We're here chatting with Kyler and Scott Jenke about a digital transformation case study in the packaging industry. I'll turn it back to you, Kyler. So something I want to unpack there, Scott, is those bolt-on applications can be industry-specific, right? Um, so that a lot of times we're talking about in packaging today, but whether you're in automotive or heavy manufacturing, you do have the opportunity to um, to get that specificity um, in your overall technology stack. Is that correct? Yeah, there, there's a couple of ways of doing that. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. Is that, you know, uh, Eric Kimberling, our, our CEO and, and founder, uh, has said this numerous times in, in engagements where, where I've been a, a senior manager or a director on, um, this whole concept of best of breed is kind of overused. Uh, it's more of like best of your needs. Uh, and there's certainly something out there that would meet that. Um, there's a couple of different things to go about that. Either it is a standalone application warehouse management or distribution management or transport uh, management system that's unique to your industry. Go after those if that truly is going to be a competitive advantage. If it's not, use what comes with the ERP package. Uh, the other thing is that there are a lot of system integrators that have relationships with the ERP vendors and they will build onto their the native platform industry specific functionality by vertical, right? Automotive, um, shipping, those kind of things. And, and so part of the due diligence of selecting an ERP vendor is also deciding if the ERP vendor is going to be implementing the, their package themselves or if they're gonna recommend a partner. And during the sales cycle and our assistance when we've done, uh, done this is to make sure that they're looking at system integrators that have that expertise in that vertical. Uh, so there's always a couple of different options of how to meet your technology needs, but also have it be not so vanilla that you have to kind of work as if you're working in an industry. There are paths to follow that are very industry specific. I think that's good. That's definitely good information, especially for um, our community in the packaging industry or in any industry that you're in. Um, engaging with experts like Third Stage gives you the opportunity to kind of go down industry-specific technology opportunities. Um, so that's definitely really important. Something I do I have a. To... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, there go is ahead. something yeah. that's that's unique, I think, to some of these packaging companies, especially those that are uh, lumber or paper-based. Um, is that a lot of the technology today is going to make its way into the mills and the plants. And while, while it's probably safe to say that uh, the workforce that are actually on the factory floor aren't necessarily uh, going to be the highest skilled level from a technology standpoint, but some of these environments are also pretty nasty. 
And so from a, a dust, from a debris, from a heat, from a cold. And so part of the selection process that are specific to the packaging industries, if they have mills or plants that are associated with their organization, is also focus on extreme ease of use in tracking whether it's shift level, whether it's an order level, but making it so that the folks on the plant floor, if they're going to be engaging with the technology, which most of these platforms allow that or require that, is to make it as simple as possible to track key information. Don't make it over complex. So some of these industry specific solutions are tailored towards even the work environment that these screens or these monitors or these tablets are gonna be working within uh, to make it again, as easy as possible for good data to be entered into the system. Yeah, that's fascinating um, how, you know, micro level those, um, those overall considerations um, can be specifically on, you know, the manufacturing floor of, of any industry. Um, that's important to consider for sure. Awesome. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of ask you about um, working on a project of this level. You are involved with a, a variety of third parties, I would assume, from a system integrator to a software vendor to other implementation resources to support. How does third stage fit into working with all of those different community base for the project? I'm going to say this with a, with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but uh, uh, in many cases, uh, the technology will solve itself, meaning they're, the SI and the software vendor are expected to deliver the technical expertise to implement their own software. And I would say 95% plus of all new modern systems that we're, we're assisting with are all cloud-based, right? So all the infrastructure is kind of taken care of. And what the folks on the, on the field are gonna be doing is much more of the technical design, integrations and the like. But one thing that's lacking in that, that perspective is kind of the user business advocate. And so third stage fits in that role pretty nicely because we, we wanna make sure that the, the technology side of it, the SI and the, the, the ERP vendor, understands that we're not trying to encroach on their area of expertise. That's what they're hired for. That's what they do. They do it all the time. Our role is much more on the business operational change management aspect. So when we engage with a, with a large client, with a large project, uh, we become not only kind of that PMO eyes of the business, because uh, many of them don't have a lot of PMs uh, sitting around waiting on a large project like this, uh, but it's really getting down to the user base. So we get into workshops and requirements, and especially during design and training and, and deployment, we become kind of a, a second leg or second arm to the user community and making sure that their needs are met with the software vendors. Um, one thing we have seen, and, and no you know, disrespect, but a lot of times the, the SIs bring technical expertise to the table, but they're lacking in the business understanding. So our user community will sit there and have lots of workshops with the technical SMEs. Everyone's shaking their head. They get it. They go off and do some design or prototype. They come back and it's 50% of what we talked about. And so because they don't understand how to translate the business need into how to configure a system. Uh, and many times left to its own uh, uh, terminal end, uh, it doesn't go very long and it doesn't go very far. And so a lot of the, the projects get uh, delayed. Uh, the, the acceptance criteria of going into production gets lower or gets delayed as well. So our involvement tends to be a lot more of the, no, 
I'm hearing you talk, but you're missing the point. Here's the point. And all of a sudden, light bulbs go off. So we, we definitely are, uh, if, uh, another word to use, a translator uh, between the business, the client, and the, um, the technical team that's actually from the software vendor. Yeah, and it sounds like you're almost like an advocate for the business, just reminding everyone that there needs to be ROI or whatever objective you're looking to achieve. Yep. And it's, uh, and it's, and it's really that, that interaction where we may define an area where configuration of out of the box isn't possible, right? That this is an area that needs to be customized. Uh, every client today says we want a system completely out of the box. That is wishful thinking. Uh, the goal is more of let's minimize customization as much as possible, but let's not eliminate the opportunity to customize something a little bit out of the box uh, that if it meets the business need, let's do that. Uh, as long as it doesn't change any kind of system support in the future. When the customization starts becoming overkill is when we have kind of a, a one-off conversation of, is this the best path or are there a, is there another solution out there we can acquire and implement and integrate with the ERP platform just to keep that customization of the ERP as low as possible. Okay, we are here with the conversation between Kyler and Scott Jenke talking about a digital transformation case study in the packaging industry. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116. We're here chatting with Kyler and Scott Jenke about a digital transformation case study in the packaging industry. I'll turn it back to you, Kyler. And when you say customization in this size of a project, who owns that? Is that the SI? Is that the software vendor? What? How can um, you know potential partners of Third Stage ensure that they're owning kind of that intellectual property? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it kind of depends. Um, if you go with a, with an SI that is industry focused, like I mentioned, they've taken a, a platform and added more functionality to it, and that's supported. Uh, anything extra on top of that is probably going to be within the SI's wheelhouse, um, unless it's truly truly customized and it's kind of a standalone thing that maybe the SI built. Uh, most of it's going to stay within the the, the software genre. Um, uh, it's hard to break apart because the, the real big push on the cloud computing is that uh, they have multi-tenant environments that have, you know, 
automatic pushes for updates and security enhancements to everyone working in there. And so anything that is unique to you is most likely going to reside within that ecosphere for you itself, but something that they could potentially leverage for others. Um, the, the one thing that, that we ask and have engaged with uh, software vendors at the beginning of an implementation is that if we go down a path with one vendor versus the other, but their functionality isn't just there for the, the client, we have worked out arrangements where the, the software vendor does build customized functionality for the client, but at a greatly reduced rate because their goal is to deploy that to all their clients or all those clients within that industry. So it may be customization initially, but it's something the software vendor will deploy and support. Uh, and the client gets kind of the, the cost benefit because they don't have to pay the full up configuration or else they wouldn't have gone with that vendor in the first place. So there's a lot of different ways to slice and dice this. It's a matter of degrees of customization. And that's another role that we fill. Yep. Yeah. And again, kind of taking that advocate stance um, because you have had those conversations with other clients in the past um, and being able to kind of navigate that because it sounds, for lack of a better term, a little messy <laughs> or can be at times. Um, so when, you, when you're going into specifically maybe not only this project, but to do that health check, what are some of the main themes that you pull out when it comes to opportunities or misses when um, implementation plans uh, you evaluate? I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I'll talk uh, two different themes that we tell clients. And actually, when we first meet with a prospect, uh, I'll give them these two nuggets and they, they can do whatever they want with it is um, everyone focuses on the look and feel of a system. Everyone focuses on the functionality of what it does processing. But at the end of the day, it's going to be what is on the screen and what comes in a report. Because uh, that's how they're going to view whether the system is working the way they want it to. So the first and foremost is, is data. Uh, there's, there's not one industry that we can talk about that over time, if you go back to all these multiple systems, homegrown systems, old legacy systems, data typically is a mess. Um, and most modern ERP platforms have changed everything from number of characters in the field and those kind of things. So even legacy data that's clean doesn't map 100% to the new fields in a new system. So getting ahead of data is absolutely the most important thing uh, prior. But for our perspective from third stage and what I've spent, uh, like I mentioned, the last couple of uh, decades in this area is, is on the change management. I, people are such the big key. After the fact, like I said, technology will typically work its way uh, through the implementation. The people need to be backfilled on implementation them, themselves, right? They, they can't do a day job and work full-time on, on a project. But after the fact, when two months after the SI has gone home and they're using the system and all of a sudden they're doing quarterland close for the first time and they run in through all these issues, is not to panic, right? And they need that support mechanism. Most companies, even the largest ones, uh, run pretty lean from a headcount perspective. When you embark upon not only just an ERP implementation, but a transformation, which means you're looking at your processes and training and skill sets, all that kind of good stuff, um, don't minimize that. That is something that is kind of near and dear to our hearts. 
but something that usually trips people up because as the business advocates in these implementations, uh, we tend to be the first line of defense when the user base starts complaining that they don't have the support to make it to go live, let alone support after go live. So spending time and understanding that you need to elevate the workforce, you need to elevate the skill set, but more importantly, kind of tying in the motivation of why we're doing this. So everyone is in a sales job. I don't care what role you're in. You have to encourage the people that work for you. You have to sell ideas to leadership. Uh, now's a good time to embark upon that whole communication and change management because that's what's going to carry you going forward. Absolutely. Very well said, um, for sure. And if you have questions about change management or want to kind of dig into what that exactly means further, um, I'll link below wherever you're getting this video or conversation, um, a, a guide to change management, which is our, what we call it our secret sauce um, guide to change management, which is a playbook basically that takes you through all of the different tactics and um, methodologies around our change management programs. Um, as well. So that's a little nugget there. But I, I think that's a, a great spot to leave it with those two um, additional um, nuggets as well. So if you do have questions for Dr. Janky, then you can um, reach out to him on LinkedIn as well. Um, we also have all of his contact information on our website. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Kyler and Scott. Great conversation and a great real world example of a digital transformation and some lessons learned that we're experiencing as we speak uh, with the current active client that we're working with. So uh, we've got uh, more to cover. We're going to unpack some of the threads and things we talked about in this conversation here. Uh, Kyler and I will unpack that in a bit more. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. A man Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 116, and you can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. If you happen to be watching this uh, on video, uh, you might want to check out our YouTube playlist that features all the episodes of this show for any that you might have missed. There's uh, 115 before this one, and you may not have seen them all. Uh, in fact, I venture to say you probably haven't. So you might want to scroll through those, and you can see a lot of the topics that we cover in previous episodes. We try to bring on interesting guests uh, along the way, so hopefully uh, you'll find some past episodes as well that you might enjoy uh, chatting through. And speaking of past episodes, uh, someone who's been on a number of past episodes was Scott Janke, and he was in this last segment talking about this digital transformation case study in the packaging industry with you, Kyler. What were some of your takeaways from that conversation with him? 
Well, I think one of my favorite parts of my job here is I get to learn from our consultants. I know nothing about the packaging industry, and and obviously he is an expert in the technical side of that. Uh, so it was, it's always very interesting to be able to learn that. Um, but I I want to ask you, Eric, because there seems to be this movement. Obviously, this is a a billion dollar plus um, over. Um, company that came to third stage to assess the health of their implementation plan. Um, it's they've selected their software. They came to us to say, like, are we all set? Do we have a, a really uh, successful approach that's going to maximize our business value of the technology? And that almost seems to be like a movement that you started, <laughs> that there is this need for this independent and technology agnostic assessment that often leads to us partnering with not only the business, but all of the different vendor partners involved to kind of lead the charge, um, if you will, to the um, to the business value of the the overall technical asset. So I wondered if, if that's something that you've seen kind of a movement in the industry, specifically for these bigger companies that might not have ever really felt the need for that before. Yeah, it, it does seem to be a movement. And, and thank you for suggesting that maybe I invented it, but I don't think I really did. It, it's more, um, it's more of a, uh, I, I think it's more of a situation that the software vendors and system integrators have created. There's, there's a lack of trust in the industry right now that is at an all time high, in my opinion. Um, I would love to say I have scientific data to back that statement, but it's purely qualitative and it's, it's purely based on observation, but I've never felt and seen this much distrust of software vendors as I have now. And there's there's been a healthy level of distrust with software vendors in the past. But I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing decades of failures of money pit projects that spent millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of projects with nothing to show for it. And now you've got software vendors and system integrators that are forcing, forcing customers into the cloud uh, when their cloud solutions in many cases are not ready they're not mature enough to support some of these large multinational organizations. And I think we're getting to the point where organizations are, I don't want to say they've had enough, but I think they're getting, they're just getting smarter. They're, they're getting, they're smarting up and saying, we need some sort of objective third party. That's not just trying to cram technology down our throat. Um, and that's the role we typically play. So, you know, I'd love to say that I invented this whole, this brilliant idea, but really it's the software vendors and the system integrators that are creating this demand by shooting themselves in the foot largely and creating this distrust and, and the shenanigans that goes on in the industry creates an opening for companies like Third Stage. Well, not shenanigans, but we're happy to handle any shenanigans. We're professional shenanigan handlers, specifically Dr. Janky. But um, right. we have a whole methodology. I know, right? And sure. we we obviously discussed that um, about what is it like on that level to handle all of those different. Um, professional skepticism pieces of making sure everyone's moving towards the same um, the same strategic goal. And that's, you know, that's a big undertaking. And I think you did a good job of explaining the roles and responsibilities in, in a, uh, an implementation project, because a lot of times that can be misunderstood, that the software um, vendor or the, the SI is a business strategist, which is not really the the case. They are they are the technical implementers, and you need to have some sort of business coach or implementation coach to really get you to achieve what your internal goals are and your overall investment. I mean, this was a, a hundred 
million dollar plus project. That's a lot of pressure on an organization to showcase some ROI that can really be a long tail strategic goal. Yeah, for sure. And we have a couple clients, you know, this particular one that he was talking about um, anonymously without mentioning them by name, but we've got a couple others as well that are going through transformations that are in the hundreds of millions of dollars. A couple of them are over half a billion in, uh, in total cost of ownership that they're planning on spending in these transformations. And if you think about a, a massive number like that, 100 million, 500 million, 550 million, um, those are huge budgets that you think, well, what's my insurance policy to ensure that I'm getting value for that and that I don't just bomb out or, or uh, you know, just, you know, let that money drift away in a money pit of a project that has nothing to show for it, or worse yet, leads to uh, total failure and total operational disruption. And that's the thing that a lot of organizations don't think about. And back to our guest who's going to be on next week, the attorney that's going to be on the show next week, uh, Marcus Harris, you know, that's one thing he and I talk about a lot is just that, you know, these, these failures just get out of control so quickly. And most projects don't get to that point where they go to go to the lawsuit phase, but we're seeing more and more of them getting there. And uh, I think that's because the price tags are getting bigger. You've got less mature solutions. You've got this false sense of urgency that vendors are creating by forcing or, or sunsetting customers off of the legacy products, which is essentially forcing them off the legacy products. So it's, it's sort of like extortion in many ways. I mean, it's, it's like a legal version of B two B extortion. It's, it's really weird. I, I, I'm, you know, maybe I'm naive, but I just haven't seen anything like this in my life. Um, and it's totally legit. It's legal. You could argue, I, I argue it's not ethical, but it's legal and, and organizations uh, fall prey to it all the time. And that's why, you know, we're so, we're so busy with work and that's why attorneys like Marcus are, are busy with work and, it's unfortunate, but I think it's just something to be aware of uh, that that's sort of where the industry is right now. Yeah. And you have such a unique perspective on that because you are an expert witness that attorneys do source um, because of your independent stance um, in the marketplace that you are really able to provide that objective opinion. Um, so you definitely know that more specialized than anyone else, for sure. Right. I'm going to need uh, witness protection after, uh, I know, after right? my conversations here. <laughs> security. About I'm surprised you don't have security with all your, your fans. Oh, I so. do. They're standing right outside the yeah, door. Right. I've, got, I've got a bunch of bouncers. You can't get in here. It's it's, uh, it's walled off totally. It's they're, insane. They're armed and dangerous. Exactly. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> good, for, good. For, that's how you know you made it when you need, you know, professional security. But in, in my dreams, that's what, that's yeah, right. the level I'm at, but not, not really. And I've been watching a lot of mafia type shows lately. Oh, so yeah. My imagination Definitely. gets the best of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the last thing I'll mention here, and it's something that a lot of times you don't consider, and we kind of talked about that in the, the beginning of this episode, but I loved how Scott talked about specifically in this client owns a variety of manufacturing from lumber. So think about trying to utilize a technical system covered in sawdust um, we also have another client who's a candy manufacturer, and that's where I went to. It was like all of the stickiness on the the, manu the manufacturing floor. As a mom of two toddlers, I know stickiness in and out. I am a stickiness F expert. Um, but the the need to really understand each end user's experience with the technology and plan for that user adoption training. And that's more than just training. It's an, an overall integration of how does the workflow match the overall processes um, in a very, very layered and complex 
organization. And that takes a lot of time and intention to kind of think through. And that's not something that we know is a proficiency of a technical system integrator or a software vendor. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. But uh, good stuff. It's a great conversation that that uh, we had there with Scott, and I appreciate you having him on because there's some the good stuff that that we unpack there. And um, yeah, just it's always good to take these sort of lessons, frontline lessons, as they're happening too. I love having those sorts of conversations like you had with him because it's it's not like we're looking back at you know from a project a year ago, and you know you tend to have sort of an overly optimistic recollection of a project when time goes by. But when you're in the thick of it, right in the throes of it and uh, on the front lines, it, it gives you a different perspective. So that was a great conversation with him. And um, yeah, I look forward to having him on the show again in the future. I'm sure he will be soon enough. So, so good. Well, well, thank you for that. And uh, thank you to the audience for the great questions and the great engagement here today. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, I encourage you to check out this, this podcast every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. It streams every Wednesday on those platforms at 10 a.m., Eastern time in the United States, which I believe is 3 p.m. London time. Uh, it might be 2 p.m. now because our time just changed, but it's, it's either 2 or 3 p.m., which I know is not helpful or very specific at the moment. But but it's uh, early afternoon. You can find it streaming uh, in London time uh, to those platforms as well. And you can also find it uh, starting first thing on Wednesday mornings on audio podcast platforms throughout the world as well. So be sure to check us out there if you don't already. And uh, thank you again, Kyler, for a great show. And Thank you to the audience. We look forward to seeing you all next week, and we'll see you next week on the next episode of Transformation Ground Control. I just dropped my notes on the floor. Oh. One second. Note drop. Yep, that was awkward. I didn't want to have to make Cassie cut right in the middle of us talking there. Okay. I think you're still here, which of course you are. But. <laughs> yep, I'm always here. I'm omnipresent.